Welcome to Nightlight, our home movie podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Prince, also known as Head Knight. Alongside me, we got Freddy. Always keeping it spoopy. Always and forever. Also known as Night Knight. David Sick. I'll leave it at that. We are a group of knights <laughs> with an absolute love for film and a passion for horror. This is a podcast that takes a different horror film to break down, discuss the ultimate question. Why horror? So with the lights, sit back and let the darkness envelop you. If you like that and want extra horror-related content, head over to patreon.com slash nightlightpod. That's night with a what? And coming at you with a brand new month. Now, it was funny looking for this month because I always, as I do, try to find something that matches the theme of that month. For example, first time we did an April month, it was April Fool's Day, and we did comedic horror and all that jazz. But for this one, I wanted something a little different. I didn't want to do Easter, because I don't know many <laughs> Easter horror films, which actually could have worked for, like, maybe kid horror, whatever. Besides the point, I saw that there was supposedly a Boss Appreciation Day in this month, which I thought was very funny. And... um I was just like, great. Corporate horror films it is. Yeah. <laughs> it works out. So this really? month is coined Have a Bad Day. <laughs> and we are going to be kicking things off with none other than Mayhem. But before we do that, we need to give a very, very special shout out to our patrons over on patreon.com slash nightlightpod. That's not with a K. K. Nashia, Frank, Kit, Kristen, Laura, Bragalock, Spencer, Lizzie, Josh, Vaughn, Alexis, Johnny, Layla, Eric, Kelly, Daniel, who actually just got engaged. Congratulations, Woo! Daniel, Cheyenne, Carrie, Stu, Anna, Stephanie, Calvin, Drew, also known as Silent Night, also known as our podcast manager, Scary Stuff Podcast, Patrick, uh... Willow, Jessica, Jared, Jasmine, Chantal, Rio, Jesse, Joe, Kaylee, Rob, and last but certainly not least, Frederick Lamar. Oh, I heard he makes great music. You better pray for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Now, back to Mayhem. First and foremost, Freddy, thoughts. Oh, Mayhem. Uh, this is a great movie. This would be my second time watch. Second time watch. Yes. The first time watch was during the pandemic, during the lockdown era of 2020. In the Perfect US. pandemic movie. Yeah. Being locked down and being driven insane. Absolutely <laughs> relatable. Uh, great movie. Um, the, the beautiful thing about this movie is also its cast. Stephen Young and also Samara Weaving. Samara Weaving is fantastic. She's a great uh, character in horror films in general. I love her in Ready or Not. Right before their prime. Like Stephen yeah, Young, like, this- he got him like... At his prime, I feel like. This is, like, perfect. Like, no, they're, like, two amazing characters that bounce off each other yeah. very well, too. And this is when they were, like, underrated at that time. Oh, for sure. <laughs> now they're, like, superstars now. Um, but, yeah, exactly what's in its name. This movie is bonkers. It's wild. It feels like a Martin Scorsese film meets an Edgar Wright film. Yeah, the, then, the editing is, like, very Edgar Wright-esque. Yeah, it's, it, they used the editing to 
show the chaoticness and craziness of what's going on. It's very quick, fast paced, moves to a beat, and it's never really jarring, which is great. Yeah, uh, I, I think this movie nice. is well put together in general. It has that short runtime too of one hour and twenty eight minutes, but it's beautiful. It it works perfectly for this film. It's beautifully and based. It's it's funny because like rewatching it now, I'm like, oh, we kind of went through all this like quarantine stuff yeah, and like going yeah. through this again. Um, it works, and this movie does such a great job of creating tension built into this virus that really gives one red eye, not two, for some reason. Which, which was actually a really smart choice, in my yeah. opinion. Yeah, because like we're so used to the two red eyes and, and things like that. And it's it unnerving just, a little bit, exactly. Which, like it creates like, a little it bit felt more of like natural. It's very specific and memorable. Yeah, exactly. Uh, memorable. Um, and I love the opening sequence, which we'll talk about with it being black and white, but they showed yeah. the red and stuff like that, which was cool. Uh, the newscasting of everything that's going on. And Good then we talk about uh, <laughs> a little bit of like the politics and stuff like that. It's like, the, um, it's like a social experiment in its own way, too, of like our inner behaviors really comes outward. Like if someone did not have any type of like – conscious of like hey i shouldn't be doing this and i'm just gonna do it regardless um it's crazy and it builds that chaos and it builds the chaos very very well yeah so re-watching it was really cool because i feel like i appreciate it a lot more this time because i knew what the premise was and just like it just takes you on for a, a whole ride <laughs> the entire runtime it's yeah it doesn't stop it, it, <laughs> it's it, so good it, and it, it plays doesn't. off like a video game too it's like it's gotta get to this level to get to this level exactly. to this level different bosses beat, beat. It, it's going from level to level it, it, it's and, great and it works yeah it, it, it works it's, fantastic it's a platformer and it's great yeah like we get we get a mini boss and we get like we get everything yeah, it's yeah. like it, it, it what you said totally makes sense that this does very much play like a video game and it's very surrealist uh, like it's not it's not very realistic it's not a very grounded film but if yeah, you no. are okay it with is. it yeah there's a lot of different type of characters within this world that's it's kind truly of funny it, and, it, and it's like it's characters where it's just like no one will fucking act like that like it's yeah. characters like that yeah, <laughs> but like, at the same but, time like, the works. bosses it play like bosses yeah, yeah. And it, like, yeah it, like works said, it works for this world for sure um, but that you know I love this fucking movie, first and foremost. I absolutely adore this movie. This movie is phenomenal to me. Like, yeah. I think this is a, such a great movie. It's so much fun. It's very exciting. Um, this was also my second time watch. Um, the first time I watched it was close to around this time it came out, um, 2017, maybe 2018. Um, and I remember this was like Shudder's very young days. This was like Shudder was still a very in the weeds platform at this time. Right. Um, but I thought this movie was absolutely just electric. Like that's the best yeah. way I can explain it. Moves it moves fast. It moves so fast. And you know, there's a triple feature that I, ex that I could see with this movie that works, would work really well. Actually a quad feature, um, where, Belco experiment? um, no, not, no, see, a lot of people will say Belco experiment. Mm. I don't, recognize Belco Experiment and Mayhem to be the same thing. Because no. Belco Experiment was literally someone forcing people to do this. Um, versus okay. this was like, you know, it was just bonkers, bad shit, crazy. But I would say Wreck. Okay. Um, Interesting. The yeah. Crazies. Okay, yeah. And The Sadness. Mm. I've and seen all of them except for the sadness. I yeah, and I saw I one. I know you haven't checked out the sadness. And I'm like, but, oh, yeah, I'm good. But it's uh, 
all of these films, to me personally, perfectly accentuate each other. And they're all very different movies in in certain ways as well. Or tone-wise, I would say tone. They're tonally different movies. But for the most part, they all are kind of the same thing. Organically, they, they, they are shaped to be this infectious movie that has people turn a screw loose. But um, mm. with Wreck, obviously, it's more uh, more zombie-esque, if you will. And then with The Crazies, that's where it's more of a transition of it being like the, uh, someone just want having the urge to kill or do harm or or seek vengeance. Right. But when you get mayhem, you get a little bit of both. Right. Like you have sexual desires, you have um, emotional desires, you have uh, the urge to kill, and with the sadness that it's that, but cranked up to a million. <laughs> like it's it's. Yeah, the sadness is fucking wild, but man, um, I actually like that movie a lot, and that was on that was on my top top fifteen last year. Actually, it was on my top ten. But you ready to jump into this, Freddie? I am. Let's go ahead and jump into this. Mayhem, directed by a friend of the show, Joe Lynch. Shout out to you, Joe. Love you, man. Released November 10th, 2017 with a runtime of one hour and 28 minutes and a budget of $2.5 million with a box office. Surprisingly, didn't even know this was in shortcomings of theaters. $17,000 with a rating of 84% on Rotten Tomatoes. We open to a painting of a virus that spreads in the bloodstream called ID7 virus. Our following protagonist, Derek, explains that ID7 makes stress hormone levels rise and block neuropaths, throwing off an important balance in the brain. We move into the painting, turning into a real virus in someone's bloodstream. Zooming out to show an office frenzy as Derek continues explaining what's <laughs> happening, causing people to punch their boss or co-workers... Um, or fucking your date in public, which the experts have called it, quote, emotional hijacking, end quote. The virus causes the infected's eye to turn bloodshot red, social media tagging it the red-eyed virus. The office continues going wild as Derek shares that the first cause was 18 months ago in Idaho, but then quickly spread around the world, confirming over a thousand outbreaks globally, but half are in the U.S. While the office room is still in, in utter chaos, the news on the wall is showing the global violence. The CDC advi- advises intense quarantine, knowing that the virus will be gone by the end of the year due to antibodies being tested. Derek, alongside the news anchor, paraphrases the the CDC, quote, the virus isn't lethal, which is technically true, but while the virus can't kill, the infected or redders can, end quote. A man named Neville smashes his co-worker's head into the TV over and over. He was the first man to be cleared for murder as he takes a a pin out of the man's shirt to stab him in the neck repeatedly. His legal defense alleged that those infected with the strain can't control their emotions, them not being liable for their actions. Thanks to a loophole, the case was dismissed. Neville comes back into frame screaming viciously as he continues stabbing his co-worker. Cue the super fucking intense metal as fuck title <laughs> card that we get right after this. 
Yeah, it's what like, you know, this movie feels like a music video from like the nineties yeah. in a way. Yeah, too. dude, like it, the it, editing style, the direction um, is perfect. Like I said, I love the opening scene of having it black and white and the newsreels like in color. But the only thing else that's in color is red, which is yeah. like the red eyes, which really brings it out. And also, the which blood. feels like a Shaun of the Dead reference. Oh yeah. Um, but man, it, it is crazy editing and quick cuts and free frames of him like screaming while stabbing him in the it's neck. Crazy. And then you have the voiceover and I'm like, what is this a Martin Scorsese film? It's like, there's a lot of stuff going on to this where I'm just like, I love it all. Yeah. It's, it's perfect. I'm in. Like, yeah, I, like, I am like, it in. tells you exactly what the tone is from the beginning of like, the, this is only three minutes in. And yeah. Like, I know exactly <laughs> what this movie is about. And they do, like, this is all exposition. Yeah. And usually I don't like it when they, like, feed you everything, which is fine. Uh, but it worked for this movie. Yeah, no, I I think it works for this movie. And it works for its runtime, too, right? Yeah. Like, you know, we, we got exactly, a lot yeah. to get through. They, yeah, it's one of those things where it's straight to the point, which works for this movie. And it sets the stage of the timeline. It's like, hey, this is a virus that's been out for a while. There's yeah. laws where, like, it grants people immunity if they kill someone during the infection. Also, his agency um, found. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like... It sets the the rules yeah. of the actual movie itself too. Yeah, absolutely. Cut to Towers and Smythe consulting with. Uh, excuse me. Cut to Towers and Smythe's consulting, where Derek is walking into uh, to for his first job. <clears throat> excuse me. His VO calls them corporate scumbags, adding their involvement in in the Devil Reed case. The company being affirmed by greed, duplicity, and moral decay, which ironically screens the their employees for honest loyalty and integrity. He gets into the elevator, eager to begin his first day at the firm. The doors close and open to him six months later, tired and run down. Commenting about it being late nights, no respect, bad coffee, and all the shit that comes with um, paying your dues. But it didn't slow him down, striving for what his family didn't have. Quote, a seat at the big kid's table, all while playing ba- paying back student loans. End quote. <laughs> Hell yeah, brother. Adding to <laughs> adding that the higher he rose, the more he felt like he, he was going he was losing himself in the process he gets a text message on his phone he responds as his vo continues about the loophole with neville's case opened up a promotional position which it didn't matter if he thought neville was guilty he just wanted the corner office which they gave him um gave him one for his sins calling himself a dick he leaves out of the elevator onto the fifth floor of the of of the building talking about Excuse me. Talking, taking out an earbud, hearing one of his coworkers, Oswald, yelling at his front his front desk assistant. You know what was interesting about Oswald? We get a scene where he's like glaring at her, and we don't see what happens. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I yeah. can only assume he killed her in that moment. Cause we have a scene where he glares at her and she's alone inside of the like break room. Huh. I'll find out. Yeah, we'll yeah, we'll yeah, get yeah, there. Yeah. We'll get there. Derek doesn't stand for it. Interrupting him to show him to show him something, he shows Oswald getting a blowjob at the office party. He <laughs> asks Derek uh, where he where did he get that from. <laughs> it was easy by googling "small dick douche" that makes his assistant work hard for fake promises of a raise. 
Mm-hmm. It being the top search result. He whispers in Oswald's ear to leave her alone, threatening to sell it to his wife for the half that she'll get from his divorce. Without a word, Oswald walks off, shouldering, shoulder checking him in the process. The front desk assistant thanks Derek before he walks off into his office, considering that that it might not be much, but he'll take whatever goodwill he can take. He makes it to his office, revealing that he's the executive associate legal analyst. His assistant, Miles, shares that his 9 a.m. is in the room, um, is in room three, but Derek wants to know where his coffee cup is. Miles doesn't know. Derek wanted to know who, who took it. He still doesn't know. Offering to get Derek a new one, but he doesn't want another. He wants his. While he's searching for his mug, Miles is trying to tell him that David from Vandercorp is on line one. He gets on the phone, greeting David while lo- still looking for his mug, but it isn't David. It's his sister. He calls Miles back, mouthing that his, that it's his sister. Miles apologizes, <laughs> but sticks around for the conversation about seeing if he uh, could come out for come out to her birthday next month. He says yes, while Miles is shaking his head and Derek changing it to no, but it is willing to make it make it up to her. She asks for him to paint her something cool since he's going to he's since he's not going to show up. He questions he questions how she knows this, Miles being the one uh, to share that he's pretty good at it. Derek throws a pen at him to leave out of his office. She offers him to sign up for for art classes, but he feels as if it doesn't he feels as if he doesn't have time for them. She acknowledges, frustratedly commenting that he doesn't have time for anything. He irritatedly agrees, rushing off rushing her off the phone, sitting and pondering in his chair before leaving in in and asking about his nine o'clock. All right, hmm. we are getting um, a lot of information here for Derek. Yeah, this a lot is, about um, his character. The yeah, character background and everything like that. We get some nice transitions of one single shot of him going into the elevator. Six months go past. He's slowly climbing up the ranks. Uh, they talk about what he has to do to climb up the ranks. Yeah, we talk about um, yeah, the assistant that like was getting bothered by the dude. He shows the video, shows like that he's still a caring person, yeah. but he's okay with crossing the line if it means something to be ahead of exactly. Someone. He's he's in, um, and he's he's learned that here, right? Like he's learned yeah, that that's you like, have that's to the culture it. here. Yeah, so it's kind of funny because this movie is in its own right a symbol of objectivism and this is something that was really big on like Anne Rand and people who've played Bioshock this is basically um, I forget what they call it what's the city is it no it's not called Rapture Rapture. this office building is basically Rapture it's like everyone is for their own good and they'll do whatever it takes to get them to the next level or in this case a hierarchy of levels and the higher you are up the better you are. There's there's like that grand leader who wants to be in charge of everything. He goes insane. He's doing a lot of cocaine. Yeah. Um, this is basically Rapture in the movie. So if Would you guys you wanted a Bioshock me? movie, this <laughs> is it. Uh, just put this uh, building under the sea and see what happens. And you make it like from the 50s and 60s and make yeah. the music happen and stuff like that. But it's like, it's it, yeah, it's really weird to see this like character study of like, this is a person that does care a little bit or enough where he seems to be like a good person, but as well, he's working for a company that requires you to, to be, be a, a shark fucking asshole and be a dick. And yeah. yeah. So, but yeah, a lot of character development very quickly and it's still only seven minutes in. Exactly. Like I said, this movie moves yeah. quick. You know what's funny? Okay. Stick with me here. This movie yeah. moves like a Pixar movie. 
Like, you know, like how most Pixar openings are like very quick to the point to like really establish like what's going on. And then it happens. And then then the story happens. Exactly. Like, this is what this is. Like, like, let's get the the small talk. Right. This this is this character. This is this character. They're all doing this. All right, let's go. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Jump to Derek leaving out of his office, reading the file and being slightly angered with it, hitting the banister. He continues walking toward room three, taking the front desk pen, ignoring her as she as he keeps walking. Oh, jeez. And that was another moment to show that, like, he knows when to be an asshole. Yeah. Pretty much. Inside the meeting room, a woman named Melanie Cross is sitting there waiting for him. He sits across from her, opening up the file about the foreclosure notice on her client's home, quote-unquote, ignoring her for a moment. He then asks how he, how he could be of assistance. She expresses that her client wants to pay the overdue debt to reverse the foreclosure, them just needing TSC to tell the bank to allow more time. He apologizes to inform her that the client has a strong no-refinance policy. She questions on what she would tell her client then. He asks if she's open to discuss the possibility of a deed in lieu. She has no idea what he's talking about, and he suspects that, knowing now that she re- she's representing herself, and that's her home, recommending her to see a lawyer. Trying to hold the facade, she claims that she is a lawyer. He defends that if she was, she would understand what he's talking about. Knowing that she's w- one of the borrowers, she puts, she puts her head down, trying to gain more information on what a deed in lieu is. But he finds that it doesn't matter, knowing that the bank wouldn't agree to it. She groans. Ex- he explains that she isn't the first first borrower to try to pull this scam. Melanie pulls out a cigarette and starts smoking. Derek responds that she can't smoke in there. She <laughs> exhales from for him to come stop her. He closes up the file. She puts the cigarette out on the um, in the water, telling him to wait, claiming that they just need two more months. Explaining that families listen except for banks and lawyers not being able to get past their secretaries. He insincerely apologizes for her situation. She asks him to not kick her out. He corrects her that the bank is kicking her out. She rebuttals that it is his client, but he corrects her again that it's the firm's client. So it's this kind of like backpedaling Right type of motion that it's he like has my hands are tied. Here. Even if I wanted to help, I can't help. Right, like can. it's not my client; it's the firm's client. Like I didn't do this; the your client's doing this. Like he he's not taking fault or responsibility in anything, even though yeah, it, yeah. it might not be his fault. It's still um, he's getting himself out of the equation. Exactly, he's like I'm not the problem. I'm not the issue. Right, like you you need to take this up with your bank. And I absolutely love what she says. This line that she says, I'm like, damn, that's deep. That's yeah, yeah, so good. Yeah, we'll get there. Yeah. And the partners are the ones that call the shots. She uses an analogy that her mother used to say, mm. quote, no one raindrop thinks it could cause the flood, end quote. Officially knowing what it means. He sighs, asking if there's anything that he can help, um, anything he can do to help her. She just wants the name of the partners that are on the case. He agrees, looking over the file for the name, finding that it's the firm's co-founder, Irene Smythe. A quick flash to Irene lighting up a cigarette in her office as Derek thinks, oh, shit. Melanie, not understanding who this person is, wants to speak to her right this second. He agrees, dialing a number on the intercom. Quick cut to Melanie being escorted out of the building by security, yelling (laughs) for them to all go fuck themselves, threatening to sue all of them while calling them fuckers. Meanwhile, Derek is still in the conference room, unknowingly drinking the infected water that's on the table. The front desk assistant, Ginny, comes into the room, closing the door behind her, claiming that he's in deep shit. This is already great. Like, we got, we now meet Melanie. 
right? You see the and situation she's in. Exactly. So what she understanding really needs to her motives. Right. Right. And we already got um, Derek's motives. Derek fucking hates his job and he knows that this is the, the only way that he could probably quote unquote survive. Right. Um, so he wants to get higher and higher and he has this motion of wanting to get higher and higher up. Right. He's been working his ass off to get there. Exactly. Yeah. Cut to them in the break room as he continues searching <laughs> for his coffee mug in the cabinets as she continues speaking with him. Um, uh, explaining that Brenda wasn't feeling well, so he had to go uh, to the penthouse to cover for her. Finding that the boss is meeting with Kara, believing that they were talking about him fucking up a Vandacorp case. This grabs his attention. Um, oh, wait. Did I skip the part where the front desk Ginny... No, I said that already. Never mind. Yeah. Um, this this grabs his attention. He goes up to her, explaining that that being Kara's client, she nervously chuckles that she knows before heading out of out of the break room. As he's leaving, Oswald watches him, revealing that he's been infected. He glares over at Ginny sitting alone in the break room. Man, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, there. like we never revisit that. So I could just assume that's what happened. But I don't know. Quick jumps of everyone and fucking everywhere all at once. Great movie. Uh, in the office, <laughs> touching and unknowingly infecting everything around them. Derek enters the elevator, calling the elevator operator for an access code to the eighth floor. The elevator operator asks to see whom. It's to see Kara Powers, the director of operations. Her position not being effect- effective for client matters. But with all things related to navigating internal co- company policy- politics, quote, she's fucking Mussolini. End quote. Calling her the siren, knowing that that she has the boss in her ear. Now, this is great because we got code names for these motherfuckers. Right. Dude. They're basically boss names. They're bo- exactly. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. like these are these are our boss names here. And it's awesome. Yeah, it's super cool. It's really, really and it cool. It works for exactly what they do within the building, too. It's like the yeah. siren. She's like, she can control people by just whispering in their ear and stuff like that. Exactly. She yeah. has a lot of power just by talking. Yeah. So, goddamn, man. So, this is where I'm like, I'm getting excited. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, it's the, build the up. way this builds up is so perfect. It's so perfect. God damn it. Joe made a fucking perfect movie. Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> Derek is in his head painting an image of Kara and John, the um, the boss, before being called back to the, rea- to the reality from the operator. He shares the name, the operator giving him his passcode 785 star 95. He types it in, pressing the eighth floor to the head upstairs. Kara is on, a tr- on her treadmill while on the phone and typing on her computer, demanding some dude named Ray to stop talking, not wanting to hear another whining experience excuse from him threatening that she'll force him to build a porn site banners uh to build porn site banner ads by lunch okay right off the bat we immediately establish who car is yeah and what her character is and it's it's she's vicious yes she's vicious even before the virus (laughs) yeah i'm telling you this whole entire place is objectivism yeah yeah everyone's on for their own good their own pursuit of happiness no matter who gets in their way or what they have to get they do not care they don't care they do not care Derek knocks on her open door she waves her her hand for him to come inside he moves over to her desk noticing his mug on her table power move 
<sighs> Disgusting. She ends the call with Ray irritatedly asking what she can do for Derek. He comments about his mug being about the mug being nice, questioning where she got it from. She expresses that she told her assistant to get it. He wonders where she got it from. She yells for Meg. She's Meg. Come in here. Where'd you get it? She enters the room, Car reiterating the question toward her. Meg explains that she just got it from the kitchen downstairs, wondering why uh, why she chose that one. She comments that uh, the other ones were filthy. He argues on why she believed that th- this one was clean. She answers for, uh, with, a, with a question on the janitorial services cleaning it. He shoots that answer down, arguing that he cleaned it because it is his, continuing while sitting across from Kara. Th- um, that... Uh, I don't know what I was trying to say here. Oh, that what's his is his and what's hers is hers. Kara asks if he's going to get to the point. He tells her that Vandercorp and their and that blood is on her hands. She takes a sip from the mug, commenting about him not now wanting to share. He rebuttals that he can't share that that isn't his, and Kara dismisses Meg. She claims that Vandercorp has filed more than one hundred account cases with them in the last two years. He sarcastically hopes that they have a good case manager. She. Cor- directs him to plural managers because no one can work on a client that big without delegation. Holy shit. Mm. All right. The motherfuckers hate each other. <laughs> and according to their annual work distribution sheet, he, in, in, uh, he interrupts on that not being updated in years, but she continues searching through it, explaining that one of the company's cases was assigned to him. She turns her computer screen toward him, repeating that file being 45A. He scoffs that he's being set up. She grabs the file out of the cabinet about the comment about um about to comment about the that this causing Vanacorp. He snatches the file before he she could continue, Derek knowing that this was planted. She offers to cut him a deal, wanting him to plead guilty. He smacks the file on the table, claiming that he's not guilty. But she continues that the corpse was found outside his office. He argues that she knew exactly where to find it. Caroline's in, asking if he would like to take this upstairs. He finds that to be a great idea, demanding her to, t- to take her file back. Okay. These two. The back and forth is great. Back and forth is phenomenal. Um, back and, and forth is You could tell that she's been there a little bit longer and she knows exactly what she's she doing. Knows too. How, she, she knows, knows how, how to, to play navigate. The game. She knows how to like, navigate. You might be a player, but I'm the coach. Exactly. Yeah. And like, like she, she understands how, not just how that business works, but how these people in this business work. Right. The inner workings of everything and exactly. what everyone does. It's like, I knew exactly where to find that body. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Just having that. That, that one edge. That's exactly. Just, yeah. she, and, and, and she, she's good. Good for her. Fuck it. Yeah. That's, you know, I mean, it's, it's like, like, like you're dirty. playing chess. You, you suck. While you're a terrible human being. Checkers. Yeah. Yeah. So like, and, no, you're right. Like, she, yes. She, she leveled up. Literally. She is a terrible human being. But I'm not gonna lie. If I if I was kidding, I was like, it was nice to see a black woman in there. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> it was, was kind of nice to it's see a black, black woman. woman. <laughs> Killing it. Like, yeah, good for you, boo. Good for you. Uh, they both head into the elevator car, mocking him uh, for not having clearance to head uh, to head up to the higher floors. Sarcastically apologizing, telling Derek not to worry, and quote, "Daddy will pay for him and leave him to die in the cold, dirty dumpster." Mm. End quote. He claps back that she drowned in the bathtub when, quote, mommy went out to buy shoes, but daddy will make her pay. End quote. In return, she calls out that mommy outranks daddy. 
he calls mommy a backstabbing bitch. <laughs> that being the exact reason why she outranks him. They make it to the floor, Derek asking John's assistant what his mood is. She shares that he's drawing. <laughs> Derek finding that to be bad as they continue into his office. He's like, oh shit. <laughs> as they enter into his office, Derek explains that John Towers is the king of the castle who's a maniac, quote, your typical American success story, end quote. John turns around with his stick drawing, seriously, <laughs> seriously asking them what they see there. Carr comments that she she sees uh, shoulder, soldiers oh my god, soldiers <laughs> I always get those two words completely mixed that are in danger he asks if she if she thinks that they'll make it she doesn't believe so because the fuss the fuse on the bomb is too short he wonders he wonders he wonders what she believes that that what they should do instead she asks to see the paper so she can start drawing something on it he turns it around to show derek with a smile calling it simple yet effective and just to explain what it is it's pretty much a stick figure of someone jumping on the bomb and self-sacrificing for the rest of the team not even self-sacrificing he was pushed oh was he pushed well that's what they're assuming it's like we need someone to take the fall right take the fall okay so it kind of shows like uh, because they showed a little whoosh that it's like someone like threw him. So it's literally like, hey, we're throwing someone on the bomb to protect everyone else. Yeah. Like we need someone to sacrifice. Right. Or we need someone to take the, the fall guy. Take the, yeah. yeah. Take the blame for this. Right. So we can. Continue. So you no know one else gets hurt. You're going to get hurt. Right. Exactly. We need someone to point the blame to. Yeah. Asking him if he's if he can see the solution to their problem. Derek corrects him that it's Carr's problem. As he's about to continue, John slams a drawing pad on the table, demanding the file, holding it up, calling it their bomb, and the fuse is already burning. Asking if they should run run like cowards and die, um, Carr answers that they are brave. We're brave, sir. He's glad that she's, she said that, knowing that any moment Vanacorp is going to find out about, about this, and he's going to need some scalps, quote, unquote. I'm just like, ooh. Not a good reference. It's, it's a, a racist motherfucker. Dropping the file on his desk, looking at Derek, asking who dropped the ball. She claims to hate pointing fingers, suggesting for him to check the annual worksheet. Derek comments that someone cooked the fucking worksheet. John glances at him. Derek adds, sir. At the end, John wants him to continue. Derek asking if he's noticed that every time there's a problem like this, it's almost, quote, the same um, soldier involved, end quote. Mm. Them all noticing in the tr- noticing in the trenches, wondering if discharging this problem soldier will be the solution to prevent this kind of mess from every ha- from ever happening again. John asks who that will be. Derek asks to draw on the pad. He allows it. Drawing breasts on the stick figure, diving on the bomb. John looks at it, thanking him for his time and telling him to leave. Derek nods as John looks over at Kara, wanting to discuss next steps. Derek is about to speak up, but John raises his voice to leave. It was that moment where he knew he was like, I fucking lost. Yeah. Like, yeah, I lost. Worth the shot. As he does, <laughs> as he does what he's told, he heads inside um Ewan's Ewan's Owens? Ewan? Ewan Ewan? 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 I think it's like Ewan Ewan McGregor. I think, I think it's supposed to be like that. Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. 
Ewan. Ewan's office, who's meditating, Derek asks if he has a moment. He allows Derek inside the office, closing out his meditation hums. Taking off his headphones, Derek points out the newer picture of, the, of his daughter, asking if she's walking already. Ewan comments that it's more like wobbling comparing it to Derek last <laughs> Friday. Derek thanks him for the ride. Ewan sarcastically thanks him for puking in his car. That being what friends are for. Ewan asks for a debrief. Derek shares that he has found someone else's shit swept under his carpet. A seven figure mistake for Vandercorp, which he hasn't even touched the file on. Ewan tells him not to worry about it, claiming that Vandercorp folk are a bunch of screw-ups. He understands that he might not want to share all the details. Derek cuts him off, commenting that the siren is who, is who, who it was that swept it over to him. Ewan is now nervous for him, wanting to take some time to strategize, thinking that since his promotion, he might be able to have a file that big, but not big enough for to be untouchable. That being the reason why she clo- she um close closed excuse me that being the reason why she chose him because he's the perfect person to take mm. the fall. Wanted to create a plan before taking this upstairs, but Derek already did that, making a mess of things. Derek sighs in frustration as Ewan uses the analogy of him punching a rhino in the face, asking if he if he'll call it brave or stupid. I love all the analogies in this movie. They're great. They're great. Yeah, it's like, they're great, and yeah, they what work. Makes you brave or stupid. And he's like both. basically Derek answers that it's both that being Ewan's point on how bravery and stupidity overlap each other so good that is so fucking deep (laughs) I love it like oh my god that's amazing Trying to make a call to to Kara to see if if he could get a deal cut for him. Derek mentions that she already offered him a deal, but he told her to suck it and this is war. Kara comes into the room, letting him know that the war is over, calling him a moron. (laughs) The war is over, moron. He gets up asking her how. She comments that the natural selection happened, demanding him to pack his shit and that the boxes are on the second floor. He gets in her face, even telling him to calm down. He questions if she blew up. Uh, or if she, excuse me, she he questioned if she blew him, uh, but uh, she doesn't. She doesn't need to stoop to that level. Fixing his tie, demanding mm. him to get the fuck out of her face. She leaves out of the office, rubbing her red eye as Derek yells that he's taken this to the nine. She responds with, "Good luck with that." As she continues walking away, he then demands for the return of his mug. <laughs> oh man! All right, I like the nine. Like the the nine characteristics for them it's like the council exactly exactly it's 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 like the council like they're not they're in reality they're weak yeah you know they actually have someone pulling the strings they just do this because it's corporate life right and you need board of directors if you have ceos and shit right because the ceo is crazy and coked out and yeah Manic, yeah. Yeah. And if you have someone coked out and manic and crazy like that. Uh, and give them the, the virus. You, yep. <laughs> Holy shit. Yep. <laughs> then you, you, then you, you got chaos. It's, it's you a coming. It's a coming. The Nine is the company's board of directors. John stands in front of them all sharing that Vandercorp file has, as Derek continues the VO. That no one goes up or down without their vote. The rumor being that there's there's... Uh, symbiotic organisms but it is only it isn't officially confirmed john hands the file to them while speaking inaudibly as they pass it around quickly glancing and scoffing at it he concludes that they should quote hang draw and quarter the little fucker my god this guy is a 
fucking asshole. Everyone in this movie. movie deserved to die, Ex- except for for Melanie Cross. But like, it it was great. This was, it was great. This was one of the most cathartic feelings ever. Going through this process of seeing these people be fucking terrible, right? Terrible human beings, and for them to just get demolished. <laughs> It was so satisfying. I could have watched a three-hour version of this movie and be okay with it easily. Right. To be completely honest, like I easily would have, I would have loved back more backstories on everybody. Yeah, there was like a hit on him at one point. We'll talk about him. Yeah. Like, you know, what? just make this a John Wick movie at this point. <laughs> 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 Everyone after him, except with someone less trained. <laughs> yeah, which is even funny. Like, exactly. Go for it. Yeah, it's great. They all vote with the same intention, one of them even motioning to slit their throat. It being unanimous, he leans over the intercom calling for Lester. Enter Lester McGill, the head of human resources. Yes. He comes down the hallway with a limp and cane, him being the person to take care of the firm's layoffs. Described as being cold as his methods are efficient, him being the perfect fit. A painting of him from Derek has, has him shaped as a grim reaper. That being the fitting name that the office all calls him. Him being the last person <laughs> that you want standing at your doorway. Yeah, it's like the cane is like the scythe and he's all in black as yeah. well in the suit. And it's just like you're literally dressed like the Grim Reaper. Truly. It's hella yeah. funny. It's so, it's so good. good. It's so, like everyone is just perfect. Like everyone is, is their perfect character. Um, I'm trying to look up the person who plays Lester. Dallas Roberts is his name. Hmm. He because he, he looked insanely familiar to me. Ah, uh, that's where it is. Dallas Buyers Club. Dallas Buyers Club. Yeah, that's right. Oh, I do remember in the gray too. Yeah, I don't remember him in the gray. Although I haven't seen that movie in a long time. Glass Onion. That's where I know him recently from. He was in Glass Onion. I don't remember. I don't remember who he played in Glass. Devon Debella, whoever that guy is. I have no idea. Yeah, whoever that guy is. Anyway, this guy's in a cool. lot of shit. Good for him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This guy's in a lot of shit. Um, and I was just curious on like who this dude was because he looked very familiar. But yeah, Dallas Roberts. Yeah. Anyway, back to it. Um, Lester knocks on Derek's office door. Uh, asking to come in, having to look down at the file for his name. Derek's head is down on his desk, questioning if he said no, that being an invitation to come inside. Lester thanks him, placing his hand on his desk. Derek uh, questions if he knows what happened, but he doesn't care. Derek thinking that he must be good friends with Kara. Rather, Lester also hopes that she (laughs) dies promptly. (laughs) Derek's slightly amused for them to be on the same page. He tries to explain his his situation, wanting him to speak with the nine. Lester opens up the file, interrupting him to sign in two places on the sheet. Derek questions what what he is doing as Lester sits down um, and answers that he's just doing his job. He believes that Lester is on Kara's side, but Lester believes that he's on the right side. That being the reason why he's he's the one to fire Derek. Derek frustratedly gives him a fuck you Lester once again demands him to sign the papers so he can call accounting to transfer his severance pay he takes the paper to, uh, paper to sign voicing that this is a statement that he takes full responsibility over the Vandercourt mess Lester mocking that he'll have the file he'll have to file that under end for not my problem 
Hey, oh. Derek becomes emotional as he understands that this could disbar him and face legal action from the client. Lester claims that he's just the messenger and yelling at him is like yelling at his watch because he's late. Derek doesn't understand why he would sign this. Lester slides him another paper claiming that it is to get rich. He's shocked at, at comment. He's shocked at the amount commenting. Wow. Lester thinking that they are on the same page, but they aren't. He wonders if Derek wants to do this the hard way. Derek rebuttals that he wants to do it the right way. Wanting to speak with John and the nine. Lester explains that that executive decision aren't able to be appealed. Derek shouts that shouts that this one better be not willing to leave the building until he pleads his case lester stands up acknowledging his choice tapping his cane on the desk before exiting the room a security guard comes into the room with a box in his hand Derek blames his um blames his hand on the on the desk ripping the paper um or i don't know what i was trying to say there uh but he, he's ripping up the paper and then we cut to a full set of SWAT trucks pulling up on the building, forcing all of the workers outside back into the building. A CDC CDC van pulls up right behind them, pulling apart a spool of caution tape. What, at what point does this happen in the movie? Like this is only 24 minutes in. So still an hour, an hour of movie left. And we're already kind of getting to this point where, Derek, now it's go time. Exactly, Derek and, and crew are coming to this point where they're, they're it's it's time. Yeah, and it, it's crazy because we get this whole entire backstory about the, the virus. We get our character set up. We get all of our bosses set up. We see the council. Uh, we see the regulations and rules of what happens when you're quarantined. And yeah, that's no, great. There's Very so exciting. much stuff that happens. <laughs> all the foundation is already there. Yes. And then now we're jumping into the movie, essentially. Oh, man. Fucking genius. Meanwhile, Derek is being escorted out of the building, realizing that everyone is officially blocked off, not understanding what's going on. John, speaking directly to the CDC officially, angrily asking asking her what the hell is going on as his eye is also bloodshot. She could, she explains that one of their pathogen sniffers entered in the building's ventilation system, picking up traces of the ID7 virus. He asks who the person was that unauthorized them to install a sniffer in this building. She matter-of-factly explains that detection devices were are legally required in public places since Des Moines. She continues that everyone in the building will be, will uh, begin to display symptoms very soon, if not already. Derek rubs his eye before getting decked right in the face, falling on the ground. The official shares that they have already released a neutralizer into the ventilation, all traces of the virus being eliminated within eight hours. But until then, the building is under official quarantine john asks what they should do for the next eight hours she comments for them to try to remain calm (laughs) back with Derek getting their shit kicked out of him he starts screaming that something happened stabbing the man with a bear with a pair of broken scissors on, on his foot before beating the shit out of him Ewan stops him and Derek is about to attack him before he repeats that it is it is him. Derek enthusiastically yells that he thinks he just punched a rhino in the face, his eye <laughs> extremely bloodshot by this point, explaining that this dude attacked him, but but he beat his ass, immediately punching another person after that. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> He's like, whoa! It's like, yeah! He is feeling I love it. fucking pumped. Right, he's pissed off. He just lost his job. He has all this energy and the virus 
brings that out of him. Can you imagine this happening? Mm, yes. Like, I feel like it has happened. But, like, man. This would be a gnarly virus. Yeah. I don't want this. No. No, thank you. I would probably die yeah. if I had this one. I mean, hopefully, no. I mean, I probably would. Like, I'm, I'm sure someone would definitely be my ass. <laughs> Ah. I'll try. <laughs> I'll try. You got this. <laughs> but I don't know. It's all about the meditation, man. <laughs> Excitedly, I his friend. His friend was cool. What was that? His friend was so like you in. Yeah, calm and collected. E- even though he had the virus, yeah, he had like a couple bursts. Like fuck you, man. But it's like I think still like a subtle like oh that's cute. And I, I think the reason it's why like, kid, like swear <laughs> yeah, I think the reason why was because. He meditates. Yeah. Like he knows he how to control his emotions right. and like so the, the virus didn't feel like it was taking completely over for him. Right. He seemed like a normal person. Yeah, he, he, did. he did. Not to say people who meditate are not normal people. They're not. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just saying like because of his tranquility, it was able to like just be like, yeah, like standard, which is good. Yeah. Just a, a, a tad bit more, I guess, cranked up. Yeah. Or probably because he still standards. has like the small outburst of like motherfucker, right? Yeah, <laughs> and that's it. Yeah, and, he, and that's he's as far as it goes. Like, he's even like trying to say like, let's go back to our office and like right. let's just chill out and let this whole thing blow over. Eight hours. Eight okay. hours. Excitedly wanting to speak to the nine, Ewan yells no, grabbing grabbing onto a wall, claiming that this is a blessing in disguise and fuck this place. Derek yells that he has everything figured out. Ewan's eyes also red, commenting about all this bull, all of this is bullshit, and he's dead inside. Derek still believes that he has to do something and tell them because they have it. They have him wrong. He grabs Derek's face, wondering if he has any idea what they are capable of. Recommending him to hide in his office until the virus subsides, then walk out of the doors and don't look back. Derek agrees and they are walking back but Derek turns the other direction to follow the crowd. The officials uh, the official tells them that they need their cooperation to keep the situation under control. Irene explains that they are they know better than anyone else that this virus turns people into complete maniacs. The, uh, the official understands, explaining that it triggers a breakdown of moral barriers, unleashing repressed emotions in the infected, including anger, depression, fear, and lust. John chuckles, comparing it to cocaine. She rebuttals that at all, that an infected an infected individual will make a coke addict look like a model citizen. The <laughs> member of the nine admits that they uh, feel normal as she rubs her infected eye. The official continues that the virus can cause drastic mood swings with potentially violent and severe consequences. Flashes of people rubbing their eyes, arguing, fighting throughout the throughout the office as official as the official expresses that it's best that stressful work-related situations are avoided. <laughs> Antidepressants, stimulants, and caffeine can all accelerate the virus's effect. <laughs> what a virus it, it's crazy because it's like you see so much chaos immediately like this has got ramped up to 100 miles per hour and you even see the signs like give me more coffee bitch <laughs> like that's like that's the thing that's like accelerating the thing it's like you're doing exactly what you're not supposed to be doing yeah it's like um, Meg more coffee bitch there's one person like I'm gonna fucking kill you nice talk to you mom and hangs oh, that's up right. like yeah it's like what is <laughs> happening but it's like it's it's funny because you can like pick out all of these different scenarios and you're like, damn, they're all going there. 
Uh, it's great. It's great to watch. It's fun. It's great. It's fun. Like, I'm going to be honest, man. Like, be honest. Watching this movie is... It's some of the most fun I've I've had. It's a it's a ride. This it's movie such is a ride. A fun, fucking movie. Because this is stuff that you don't normally see day to day. Honestly, right? Oh, I would hope so. Yeah, yeah uh, I would hope so too. But it also like it's that concept of like how many people have gone to work and genuinely despises either the people that they want to call with them out or, or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. It's like the liberty to speak to up against do them. Do whatever you want. Um, or like a coworker or a manager or something is a complete asshole and you feel like you're not entitled to say anything because this is our inner thoughts you. come to exactly. fruition. This yeah. is 100% unfiltered thoughts, feelings, emotions, and physicality. Like I want to kill my out. boss, but they actually do it. <laughs> right. Exactly. It's just like, yeah. I need to beat my boss's ass and they do. This they beat their boss's ass. Another movie that reminds me of this one is, uh, I think it came out after this too, uh, The Kingsman. Oh, yeah. It's like the, the virus that they had or whatever that like Samuel L. Jackson's character was trying to get the whole world to fight each other with the the SIM cards. Right, yeah, yeah. Where it just for, like for induces, population control. Yeah, yeah, it just induces like mass hysteria and violence and craziness. And it's just like... Also a fun movie. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the church scene. Wow. The That's one? the church. Oh, yeah. oh my god! <laughs> that was crazy to see in theaters. People were just like gasping. Oh, did I see that in theaters too? I think I, I did so see surprised. that in theaters. Yeah, me and my I, friend, we were looking at each other like, "What is yeah, happening?" It was nuts. I was like, this "More of that, please. Yeah, More of that's that. what this movie is. It's the yeah, whole, it's that that scene, the whole runtime, basically. That's great. Yeah, it's fucking yeah, great. so good. John grabs a golf club asking what happens when uh, when 287 employees with average billing rates of $200 an hour stop working for eight hours. And I was like, 287 employees? That's it? That's in there? That's not bad. Yeah. That's very little. Also, to $200 an hour. You guys hiring or what? I mean... Yeah, how <laughs> <laughs> they are. They're short-staffed. <laughs> they, got, they got room now. The, the nine are all quiet. He smashes his club into the table, shouting that he loses half a million of half a million dollars, demanding them to crack their whips to force everyone to go back to work. If they don't like it, they are terminated immediately with no severance packages, wanting them to put the fear of himself into the meaning. They receive a call from the receptionist about Derek wanting clearance to come up. He wonders what for. She shares that he wants to have a word with him, and the nine... Um, First, after he reconsiders, um, cut to Derek receiving his passcode and being uh, and being called a fuckhead to the penthouse. He looks at himself in the mirror, aggressively yelling, fuck you. They cut his access, forcing him to go down. He yells for them to uh, let him let him back up. He he's pulled out of the elevator by Colton Snyder, a.k.a. The bull. He's the boss's unofficial left hook. Nobody knowing his job description, but whenever there's some, whenever there's something dirty going on, he's always there. He picks Derek up to punch him back down, demanding his men to take his phone away. He groans and whimpers in pain as they call John. John apologizes that they are sorry that they didn't uh, get to meet again. Something coming up. Understanding that he, understanding what he's thinking, remembering Neville got getting away with murder, asking if he didn't see that coming. 
thing. Derek admits that he was go- just going to ask for his job back, but he likes that idea too. John is already beating him to uh, beating him to the punch as Colton takes another shot at him. He chuckles that it sounds like it hurts, asking Colton if he if he's hurt. Colton responds that he is. John questions if he's crying. He checks, letting him know that he's not. John yells, "Why what not?" Is he not Colton pepper sprays him until oh he starts God. to cry. <laughs> It's comedic. It's Dude. harsh, but damn. Oh my That's God. That's pretty funny. John wanting to also hear a bone crack settling for a pinky. While Derek Sheesh. is screaming on the fl- on the floor in pain, Ewan dings in from the elevator yelling that he's coming while taking one of the men, taking on one of the men, beating the shit out of him. Colton grabs him, headbutting him un- uh, into a long nail sticking out of the wood plank. Hmm. Fuck. And this, like, it, it was crazy when this happened because Colton doesn't look like he's, like, upset about it, but he's like, ah, I fucked up. Like, yeah, he, yeah. like he was just like, was like my bad. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like I, 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 didn't, I didn't mean to kill him. John yelling for someone to tell him what's going on in, um, in there, them not noticing right away that he's he just got struck by a nail. Colton brings out brass knuckles. Derek sees that something is wrong. The wood plank stuck uh, stuck to the back of his head. He he uh, he calls out to him, blood spilling from his mouth. Ewan's last word, I smell toast. Oh. Fuck. Even the way he says it's like I smell toast. Yeah. And it falls forward. I'm like, oh poor poor Ewan. Oh man. <sighs> yeah, that's crazy. RP. Derek um checks on him, screaming for his name as the henchmen all, all laugh. John questioning him killing um Ewan. Colton admits that, that there's been an accident. John is upset that uh, that he now has to search for a new replacement. Colton mentions that he'll he'll worry about the body since he killed him. John corrects him that he didn't kill him, but the infection did. Them all having immunity due to Neville Reed being able to thank Derek for that. <laughs> Derek calls him a motherfucker, Colton thanking him before knocking him out. John instructing him to lock him up with the other one. Fade to Derek waking up while Melanie is pacing around the room listening to death metal. He groans awake. She spits in his face, pulling out her headphones. He spits back in her face, and they have a spitting contest before she punches him in his. He punches her in the stomach, causing her to roar and jump on top of him, providing him with um, multiple blows to the face, asking his reasoning for being down there. He groans that they fired him. He chuckles calling it just, or she chuckles calling it justice, he asked her the same question. She shares that they called the cops, but the but the place was quarantined before they showed up. So they threw her, they threw her in there, threatening to sue everyone that she she uh, makes when she makes it out of there. He laughs, telling her good luck, explaining that it's that it's ID seven. Nobody being liable for anything that they do. She slaps him. <laughs> that being just like any other day for him. He reminds her that they aren't liable for what they what they do in there either. She starts hitting and screaming at him. He tells her uh, to wait, reminding her about Irene, revealing her location, and she's all hers if she can help Derek get to the top. That being their chance to get these motherfuckers. Hell yeah, dude. This scene is hilarious. Such an iconic team up. It's so funny. (laughs) They're just like (laughs) spitting on each other like nothing. And then they like have a normal conversation while she's on top and still like randomly slapping him across the face. It's like, but the the conversation just normally continues. And it's just like, it's really funny because it's like the virus is forced to do this. But at the same time, it's 
It's comedic gold for sure. It's very true. Very true. He asked if he could uh, get up now. She gives him one caveat of him <laughs> not being an asshole. He jokes that being debatable. He's and she's about to punch him again, but he admits that he, that he won't be. She helps him up. He immediately starts looking for something. Melanie doesn't know what, what he's looking for. He responds that he's looking for a loophole, that being his specialty, finding some phones, but she's confused knowing that they wouldn't place them in a room where work with working phones. Derek explains that he's going to create a franken phone she doesn't understand since uh, since they can't call the cops but that's not what he wants to that's not who he wants to call cut to john doing a line of coke before his assistant shares that derek has managed to set up a call with vandercorp ceo wanting him to join in he sniffs that he'll be there in a minute coming into the room apologizing to uh for keeping frank waiting he shares that he's he's been having a long chat with one of his lawyers asking if derek is still there derek is on the phone letting him know that he's there frank asks John to remind him why he's he does business with TSC. John answers that he, uh, it is a jungle out there, not just needing a guide, but a, a lion walking by his side, them being both for him. And I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about, dude? Like, that's not what I asked you. I don't care if we're in a jungle and blah, 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 blah. Like, I asked you, why do, why do I do business with TSC? Right. I didn't want you to tell me because you're a lion and biggity boggity hookity boogity. Like, <laughs> fucking answer the goddamn question. Frank shares that they are concerned that he has ulterior motives. John claims that they will never turn turn against their clients. Frank believes that that could be true, but brings up the document that Derek alerted him mm. to that assumed otherwise. Derek explains that it is the report that TSC did for Vanacorp, analyzing the uh, the advisability of filing a multi-million dollar lawsuit against one of Frank's ex-business associates. Frank asks John if he remembers this report. He claims to not. He expresses that it's well-written, likely how it weighs the slim possibility of a positive financial outcome against um, enormous potential litigation costs. Frank questions Derek, asking if he agrees with this report. He admits that he doesn't, believing that he could have won that suit. Frank doesn't understand why one of those, why, what, excuse me, why one of his advisors advised him against it. Derek explains that they missed the deadline to file the motion. Frank um, confirming if TSC dropped the ball on this one, Derek admits that they did drop the ball and they defecated on the ball then they sodomized it. <laughs> Frank chuckles showing John's last invoice ripping it up before concluding the call. He does say something when he chuckles though and I forgot what he says but like I, I after, how after the, the, the sodomize drop? line he says something but I forgot what it was. Derek hangs up the phone, humorously claiming that it went well. Melanie gives up, gives him a thumbs up. John, on the other hand, is furious, demanding them to rip the hands off Derek's body right now. Ooh, mm. ripping body parts. The security bursts into the room. Melanie telling him, telling them to hold as as she orders some pizza and wings. <laughs> Samara weaving is a fucking prize. She's yeah. It's hard to explain how like. She's charismatic. Very. That's the thing. Like she and pulls charming. you in and charming. Yeah. She's she's just a badass. She's she so is. cool. She yeah. is. She's awesome. And like I'm not gonna lie, it was very exciting to see her in like Scream Six and stuff like that. Right. Um, but with her presence being on screen, I could watch her do anything. Like mm-hmm. I remember the first time I saw her, 
and um, it was in something. I think it was called Smilf. I'm not. I'm not too sure if that's what it's called, but I think that's what it's called. Um, I'll look it up. But it was yeah, Smilf. Um, but she was. Uh, it was this chick whose son's dad. It was his. He was dating. He was dating her, uh, Samara Weaving, mm. um, which was, I guess, the stepmom. But I was, I think that was the first time I've seen her, or maybe I saw her in the babysitter. First. I think maybe, yeah, maybe it was the babysitter. Um, when From, did the babysitter come out? Oh, was it 2017. Uh, babysitter came out the same year this movie came out. Yeah, so maybe it was the babysitter first. And she, I didn't remember seeing her in three billboards outside Ebony, Missouri. Uh, I don't remember Missouri. that either. Oh, she was awesome she in was Guns Akimbo, too. Yeah, she is. I She's forgot about that. that. She was fucking incredible in that. Yeah, she had great makeup design on that one. Shouts the fuck out to Samara Weaving, dude. She's in a lot of cool stuff. Isn't she in Babylon, too? I did not know that until I saw her list right now. Okay, yeah. So I haven't seen that movie. I know it's like three hours. But <laughs> I have to go check it out, too. I hear I hear mixed things about it, but at the same time, people either love it or hate it. <laughs> yeah, like whatever. Oh yeah, she played the daughter in the Bill and Ted Face the Music stuff too. That's right. Which is weird because she's pretty not to say she's old, but she's older. But she's, she's like, not actually no old. She is. I think she's, she's like, like twenty nine. Yeah, yeah. But Bill and Ted excellent. Or Face oh, the she's music supposed to be a like teenager. An hour and a half. Yeah, yeah. I mean, sorry, hour and a half. What am I talking about? Twenty twenty. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, Samara Weaving is. She's awesome. She's awesome. She's cool. She's great. And, and for upcoming I, projects. Hell I yeah, feel like her. she's not getting the recognition she truly deserves, though, because she's also a phenomenal actress. She is. She's phenomenal. Anyway, she sorry, y'all. Powers. Back to the fucking movie. Over our, our, We're our, our fest of Samara I'm sure everyone agrees, too. <laughs> uh, the security bursts into the room, Melanie telling him to hold hold as she orders some pizza and wings. Them not noticing Derek coming up to, uh, to them with a wood plank. He hits one of them, jumping on the other one, beating him to death, screaming as flashes of Kara mocking, mockingly sticking her tongue out, Ewan smiling his bloody smile, and John smashing his phone with a go- golf club, ending with him yelling that this fucking phone doesn't work. Back with Derek breathing heavily, delivering another blow to the guard's unconscious face. Which actually looks really brutal. Uh, Melanie gets up, commenting about him fucking uh, fucking his girl or something. She's like, damn, dude, what do you do? Fuck your girl or something? <laughs> she sees that, the, that they don't respect each other. Him agreeing. He opens up the tool cage, pulling and grabbing a shit ton of weapons. Uh, Melanie grabbing a nail gun, testing it on a wood plank. Derek shares that they, they started a countdown for the quarantine. Them having a bit, a bit more than six hours left. She believes that gives them enough of time. He explains that his boss is a raging cokehead, knowing that there will be more guards. She considers that to be fine, willing to bring nails. He knows that, that the only way up is with a key card or a one-time passcode. With the smirk, she questions who they have to fuck up to get the card. He strategizes that they will get Lester first and get his level 2 card, it taking them to the 7th floor, gaining, gaining them access to Kara, who has the level 3 card. They are ready to fucking do this, showcasing their weapons for e- extreme measures. Let's go. Great quick edit scene, too. Let's fucking Great. go. I'm in. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Guts of Lester jumping from him cutting his bonsai tree calmly to frantic. <laughs> 
This is great. Which is cool because it kind of gives um, a clue of like maybe what's going on in someone's mind versus what's actually going on physically. Maybe That's what I picture. He's like normally it cutting too. it. Yeah. And then like in real life, the he's virus is like, ah. Yeah. Like but in his yeah. mind, he feels like he's controlling himself. Right. He hears indistinct screaming outside his office, unlocking his office door and opening it up to the room, appear chaos outside. A guard on the ground screaming and crying for being shot in the dick with an elgum. Derek calls out Lester, pointing him out to Melanie. She takes a shot at him, but he blocks it with his cane, limping back into his office. I was like, damn, dude. Got the six cents. I see you. Derek and her run over to uh, run over with a mail cart, jamming it into the door. He closes it in time, demanding him to open the door. A guard comes over to them, tasing Melanie. Derek throws the cart into him and moves onto the other side of the cubicle. He sneaks around, crawling from the cubicle, crawling from cubicle to cubicle, while he continues sh- um, shaking. While she continues shaking on the floor, and this is like, <laughs> dude, she got <laughs> shot so quick and went down so fast. I was like, damn. <laughs> Like I didn't remember be, that scene at all. Shouldn't be funny, but it's fucking funny. <laughs> Lester comes back outside the room, claiming to be upset that it bothers him that women aren't treated the same in the workplace. <sighs> Jamming his cane into her hand and then Fuck. kicking her as he as he also claims to be all about gender equality. Now this wasn't funny. <laughs> <laughs> this was brutal. This, was up, this is dude. where you hear the like like the heart. String pulling scream that she has. We're like, oh yeah, oh my she's, god, she's a banshee. It it hurts me because it sounds so hurtful when you scream because your scream is so good. Are so it's iconic, haunting. She's a it's absolute so good. banshee, and yeah. I don't know how she does it, but her screams are. Fucking I forgot what interview believable. she just did recently for Scream or something like that, but it was like maybe Jimmy Fallon, where they had her like, like, oh, you have a great Scream, right? And then she did it, and they're like, oh, yeah, that was better than what I thought it was going to be. It's <laughs> like, I'm actually hearing it like in a quiet in person. Set. Yeah. <laughs> like, man. Oh, uh, damn. Yeah, I would. Crazy. She's good at it. She's oh, good at it. Yeah. She's really good at it. And the rest of the podcast is going to be talking about how great Samara Weaving is again. <laughs> this is officially a Samara Weaving stand podcast. <laughs> the guard continues searching for Derek before being stabbed in the leg. Another guard tries hitting him uh, with the taser, but he blocks it with a cup, a clipboard, then <laughs> proceeds to stab him in the throat. Meanwhile, Melanie tries to uh, go, tries going for her nail gun, but Lester kicks it over to Derek accidentally. He fires the shots, but Lester is able to close the door in time. He lends and Melanie a hand. She comments about not needing his help, but he admits on needing hers. After a respectable exchange of fuck yous, they burst into Lester's room. He (laughs) fixes her hair, asking if... uh or he fixes his hair, asking if they could come in. Lester repeats what Derek said to him earlier, questioning if he said no. Derek smiles that he'll have to confer with his associate. Melanie tapping on her gun that um, he'll have to confer with hers too. Firing a shot into his hand, um, ask them to ask them what they want. Um, Derek demands for the key card. Lester knows that he's not he's not the only one with a level two key card. Derek shouts that he's not he's <laughs> Derek shouts that he's the one that fired him. Fair. Hmm. Now face that homeboy. Lester corrects him that the firm fired him. Same thing that he's also said to Melanie, right? Mm-hmm. Like this is the firm's account. And for not him taking not accountability to shoot the messenger. and responsible. Yeah. Exactly. Then brings up that line again, which I love. Yep. 
Derek plays along um, that he's that he's right and that he would like to take it up with the firm, but he would he would like to know where he can find it so he could, could kick its ass. Lester finds that to be um, the point since you can't kick the firm's ass. Derek finding uh, finding that to to bringing them back to them. He claims that he uh, he was just doing his job. Derek officially understanding quote. No one rain. No one raindrop thinks it caused the flood. End quote. He asks if he knows what happened to him if he uh, would give him the key card, but Derek files that under in for not his fucking problem. <laughs> he slides the key card over to him on the desk. Derek grabs it just to have Lester jam down scissors onto his hands. Oh fuck! For the task too. He jumps so on Melanie, brutal. grabbing her nail gun, trying to use it use it on uh, her. She screams as the nails fly past her head. Derek yelling for her to use the saw, calling for extreme measures. <laughs> she grabs it, sawing into his gullet. Derek calls her calls her over to help him to, uh, to get the scissors out of his hand. She smiles, going over to him, letting him know that she that this is going to hurt a lot. He knows that she's enjoying this, as she reminds him <laughs> that that he's he's one of them. He smiles that they are supposed to be a team. Before she fakes a countdown, ripping the scissors out of his hand. <laughs> so good. She, I'm done bloating. I know. I know. I <laughs> know. God like, damn it, man. So good. She's ready to go, shooting someone standing in her way. Calling out to all of them to move out of the way, he has the print. He has to print something as they both take a smoke break. Melanie finding some shades to put on. <laughs> Shout out to the half bake reference, right, right there too. Mm. <laughs> um, she asks, she asks if if they're if they're done. There, there is a. Pr- excuse me. She asks if they're done. They're they're as. I don't know what I was trying to say. Whatever, I'm gonna skip it. Um, throw it over her phone to um to her to film something. The nine are, are watching his his recording for case file 32376, The People versus Reed, wanting to discuss Neville, counting by all accounts he was an outstanding pillar of the community, earning two master's degree by the age of 21, what? <laughs> Marrying his college sweetheart and his father, and he's a father of twin girls, continuing that he when he contracted the ID virus, shit got real. Overwhelmed by pure ID, Neville Reed became prone to involuntary aberrant ab- uh, abhorrent and shocking impulses. He speaks on, on this while walking around the office showcasing that the chaos that surrounds him. Derek continues that Neville committed a, br- a brutal and unspeakable act in broad daylight in a room full of witnesses. He shares that they are st- they are talking about a model citizen who was transformed into a bl- brutal bloodthirsty killing machine at the blink of an infected eye. Preach. Mm. Preach. As asking if it's of the fault of the virus, he takes one last drag from his cigarette before throwing it on the pile of something. I don't know what it was. Files? Or was it a person? Oh, uh, let me see here. I can go Setting back. it on fire as everyone cheers. Wanting to discuss, Melanie turns the camera the camera on to herself, oh. concluding with uh see you soon, fuckers. It's the Reaper himself. Is it the Reaper? Yeah, yeah, because his cane's right there too. Okay, that's what he's I on top of like the file cart, and they like light his body on fire. Because uh, amazing. <laughs> yeah, here's his okay. cane. His oh body's, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, bent yeah. over. It, it kind of looked like it was just a bag. Yeah, but, but his yeah, cane's right there. There yeah. it is. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, 
Fuck yeah! While they are moving up toward the eighth floor, John calls Kara to warn her and share that he has Lester's key card. She sarcastically claims on the, claims on that being a shame, yelling if they got it before or after they butchered Lester with an electric saw. How does she know? <laughs> he tells her to calm down and come up there, but she uh, she can't since they are are guarding the elevators. He suggests um, for her to destroy the card, but that's her only leverage. He sits down, picking up the phone, promising that he, um, he will do everything in his power that she doesn't um, that. Uh, excuse me. He sits down, picking up the phone, promising her that he will do everything in his power that uh, that um, he, he doesn't um, get to her. It's so weird because with her key card allows them to go upstairs to where the main boss is. Why does she just go upstairs? That's what he said. He said, come upstairs. And oh, she said that's she right. can't because they're guarding the elevators. That's right. Never mind. Yeah. yeah okay. Um, but he needs her to protect he needs her to protect right. those that are above her. She shouts <laughs> she shouts, fuck them. He offers her a raise that she's always wanted, but she says, fuck that too. Then he offers her to um partner and she's about to say, fuck that too, but she thinks about it before agreeing like, to that. All right, deal. She's like, okay, deal. <laughs> That's good. Going over to throw it out of the window, he sighs from relief, thanking her before hanging up. She looks out of the window, but decides to call um, for her assistant instead. <laughs> she demands her to hide the key card and to not tell her um, where she hid it. Uh, I love how Meg bursts into the room, too. She just like... She just like, comes in super aggro. Yeah, yeah, she's like... Like, no, just What's doesn't say shit. She just, she just, she just like, slams the door open like, like, what? <laughs> like... Like a bull. <laughs> um, then demands her to make some coffee, calling her a stupid bitch as Meg wears a scowl on her face. Oh, God. This movie is just literally its title. Cut to more mayhem as people are running up and down the stairs. Derek comments that the elevator is the only way upstairs that they can ambush her from, from there. Melanie uh, mentions that it'll, it'll be a while. He asks her um, for her top three bands. She shares Motorhead, DRI, and Early Anthrax. Wow. Shouts out. Uh, he chuckles that, sh- that he didn't expect that. She questions what he expected, believing that he, uh, she was going to say the Dave Matthews band. Uh, he's slightly offended, suggesting <laughs> that they're a good band. <laughs> it's just popular to hate them. Duh. <laughs> I love what she tells... Um, like the random dude, yeah, that random dude. Like yeah. when, uh, when they were talking about bands, like that, that was great. Like the dude was just like running towards him. Was like, nope, other way, other way. That's right. <laughs> Go fuck off. That was fantastic. And he, and he like definitely turns around all timid. He's like, He's like yeah, okay, you're, you're right. right. You have yep. a nail gun. Yep, I'm okay. He um he asks um he asks that if she's ever heard them live, but she would rather chew glass. <laughs> He believes that just being their popular that they're popular doesn't make them good. People um, just thinking that it's cooler not to like popular things. She sarcastically responds that she'll see them at Burning Man. He offers that um, to take her out to see them if they get out of there. She mocks if they're going to do this before or after they buy Birkenstocks, knowing that he probably <laughs> wears them with socks. He Very does kind of look like the type yeah, that wear Birkenstocks with socks. 100%. Oh my god. The nine are still held up in their briefing room. John asking the official why she can't send in a unit to stop Derek. She explains that um, that would be catastrophic as he sniffs some coke. She questions him about it as he blames it on allergies, then gets upset with her asking. She continues not saying um, what he wants to, heard, wants to hear as he takes his golf club and breaks the TV. <clears throat> Excuse me. 
uh, he tells the room to notify accounting that he's offered $150,000 for Derek to be stopped dead. God damn. Hmm. You know what, though? I thought there was going to be a little bit more from this. Like, I thought, yeah, like, the office was going to, yeah. Like, like, the whole office were going to come after Yeah, that's what I happened. thought was nothing going really, to happen. I think um, nothing really does nothing happens. from it. Yeah. No, nothing happens because of it. It's just the the um the bull yeah. is the guy who, who is has like, a chance to yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. But like, yeah, so nothing happens. Uh Irene rebuttals that he's talking about murder and that he should be offering at least four hundred and fifty thousand dollars. He agrees with a smile on his face. Back with Derek and Melanie as he throws water on his face and she's singing a song. Um which I found out that is not a real song. Oh, okay. I thought it was a Metallica song, but it's not a real song. It was made up for this movie. Hell yeah. Four hours left until the quarantine lifts. She quotes Risky Business for him to make his move. They head inside the office, a lot of people dead on the eighth floor. They look over to Kara and Meg walking across from them. They (laughs) move in in unison as Kara reveals that she has a a slight army of office warriors ready for, for that action. They look fucking ridiculous. (laughs) <laughs> like one dude has a tie on his head. Like they look stupid. <laughs> but <laughs> so, so are Melody and Derek. They are interrupted by the phone ringing. Meg runs over to put it on speakerphone. This was actually really funny. because It was like dead silent. And she's like. Click. <laughs> um, as a, so, uh, as a, psych- a psychologist that's working with the CDC named Mark calls in, checking in on him for, uh, from being a bit under stress, asking how he feels. Derek expresses that he feels like taking his clothes off, causing huge amounts of property damage, and uh, or he wants to scream, wants to fuck, twisting limbs, and breaking bones. Ending that he feels fucking great, Mark. And Mark comments, that being the virus talking, Kara agreeing that he isn't thinking straight, being so consumed by, this, by his id that he hasn't noticed that they are there to help him. He offers Derek to sit down, take a breath, and talk it out. Derek acts like he's about uh, uh, thinking about it. Melanie's smiling from his, from his reaction. He spots on the speaker um, a speaker dock for his phone, handing his phone to Melanie, telling her to put it on track three. She begins the song, hoping that it's not some Dave Matthews band shit. Um, Derek giving the group a chance to leave, but they all decide to stay. He takes that as a sign that they are all agreeing to follow the, to the following terms and condition as Melanie takes off her shoes. Mark continues yelling um, to get him to snap out of it, but he ignores Mark's callouts. Derek mentions the condi- the conditions. One, you hereby waive your right to your own personal bodily integrity. Two, per the state versus Neville Reed, my colleague and I will not be held criminally liable for any felony or misdemeanor that you may be a victim of, including, but not limited to, aggravated assault, aggravated battery, disorderly conduct, destruction of property, mayhem, and first degree murder. Kara leaves out of the room as he continues her squad readying the fuck up. And three, terms and conditions may change updated as he's yelling whatever the fuck I want. Melanie aims the nail gun as they all have all been considering to be notified. The brawl begins. Pure bloody fucking chaos. Everyone getting fucked up as Derek and Melanie are handling themselves pretty damn well against a group of eight people. 
True. After an amazing <laughs> montage of ass kicking, they walk out of the brutal battle, knocking on Kara's door, forcing their way into her room. This was magnificent. Yeah, I do like the, at least that they get their ass kicked a little bit. They do, which is yeah. good. But yeah, like you said, like damn, they they do well for themselves for sure. Yeah, wow, she goes ham with the hammer, dude. That, I didn't mean to. And say we got it that, that scream way. again. Yeah, 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 we got that um, scream again. Yeah, this this is a brutal scene, but it's, it's so funny. This kind of reminded me of Anna the Apocalypse for some reason. Huh. Yeah, okay. right? Interesting. Why? Yeah. Uh, because it's like, it's like the random kids sort of start like grouping up together. And yeah. Then, uh, there was okay. like the game of baseball bats. And it's like, that makes sense. Oh, we're friends. Okay, cool. We're just um, missing them breaking out in a song. <laughs> Same <laughs> thing happens here. Uh, there's, there's, this movie just reminds me of so many other like great moments in other movies, too. Oh, for which sure. Is really cool. For sure. I don't know why it kind of reminds me of Scott Pilgrim a little bit, too. Well, the, the Edgar Wright cuts, right? Yeah, probably that. Right, you know, we, like we, the battles and the fight sequences are like exactly. over the top, over like dramatic. Yeah, there's some comedic elements, like yeah, her running to the phone and like clicking it on, and they like talk about exactly. it. exactly. Like, oh yeah, it's like this, a lot of the voiceover stuff as well. This movie is 100 percent inspired by Edgar Wright. Like, like, I can tell. like, I, yeah, yeah. Th- there's so much of Edgar Wright. Like, it damn near feels like he fucking produced this movie. Yeah. It's so much of his style that's kind of on this film. Um, but yeah, he asked for the key card, but she, uh, she wants to negotiate. Derek, uh, puts a broken, a pair of broken scissors on, on the table, mentioning that negotiations have ended. She comments that, um, so will quarantine, but she doesn't know where the card is. He asks, um, what she wants. She claims that she wants a truce. Fuck your truce, but no truce, no card. He agrees to tell her where it is, smirking as he promises to leave her alone. She comments that he's a man of his word, that being the reason why he, he never made partner. She takes his mug, smashing it on, uh, smashing it across the wall. He gets up, he gets up ready to stab her but she reminds him about the key card he sits back down car calling him a good boy she calls she screams for meg melanie copying her as as she giggles i love that that part was so funny to me she's like yeah meg (laughs) (laughs) that was so funny to me meg comes into the room throwing the scorched card on the table Mm car commands um derek to take the card and fuck off he comments about it being a useless piece of scorched plastic on the table she goes um she actually is upset at this point. She's like, wait, <laughs> my only leverage. Admitting to seeing the same thing, asking uh, Meg if if that's what she sees as well. <laughs> Meg agrees on that being her key card before putting it into the microwave. Carr wonders why she would do that. Admitting that she's like every other assistant, calling, every, uh, calling her every name under the sun as she questions why she would do that. <laughs> Meg explains that everyone upstairs knew she would betray them, so they offered her a promotion in exchange for destroying the card. Guessing that she no longer works for her, calling Kara a bitch. She takes the scissors before Kara does, continuing that um, that she never has to listen to her shrill voice again. They both exchange fuck yous as she stabs Kara with both Derek and Melanie watching the two squabble. Melanie laughing at, <laughs> at the sounds of death from both of them dying. Damn. She's. <laughs> I love it. She's like frantically laughing at She's it. like maniacally. So deep down inside, you like this? Like, <laughs> well, I mean, I, I think it's definitely the virus. Yeah, but, yeah, of course. But at the same time, like, she is experiencing pretty much all this hatred that they all have towards each other. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. 
Derek sends a video to John telling him no no more power games or bullshit. Melanie holding up Kara's tongue uh, while she's dead on the ground. There being quote, her tongue out. no more siren song. End quote. Concluding that Meg is a little crazy and that uh, she's perfect there before flipping him off. Cut to Derek holding and inspecting his broken mug. Oh. Melanie comes back into the room wearing Kara's shoes, admitting that they are comfy. He he mentions that he loved he loved this mug she takes she takes off her blood-soaked blouse to um to her uh black dahlia murder tank as he explains how he got it um it, it just shouts the fuck out i wonder if samara weaving actually does listen to like hardcore death metal i'm sure she does i would hope so that's <laughs> an assumption but i like I, I feel like it's real i would hope so i mean like you know, okay. that was not even part of the script or movie. That was like, hey, I think this is this type of character and it's really her. She plays a lot of these characters. <laughs> yeah. So like she did it again in in, um, in Guns and Kimbo. She kind of mm-hmm. had this character in um, Ready or Not. I so, feel like I see her personality in the characters she plays. 100%. 100%. Yeah, like they're all different characters and she's great in all different roles. Right. But I still feel like her personality shines through those roles. That's true. That's true. I think. I don't know. Yeah. Man. Anyway, his sister given it to um given it to him on the first day that he he started there, quote, fuck this place. End quote. <laughs> he asked if if she t- still has her foreclosure paper on her. Excuse me. She takes it out of the toolbox wondering why why as she hands it over to him. He looks at it expressing that she's in luck and and this mortgage is part of a bad batch. It being potentially lost lost or or tough to find. She questions if he if she asks uh, the bank with uh, the original paperwork, he answers that it'll put them in a tough spot or a signature from upstairs could void it entirely. He hands it back to her apologizing for not helping her earlier. She accepts his apology bumping bumping into him to not do it again. He receives a video from John opening a tarp with Ewan. With Ewan, um, he pees on his corpse, telling him to go fuck himself. Derek begins to sob as Melanie takes it takes it from him. She rubs his back while um, while telling him that it's okay. He sobs that he had kids, then apologizing that this virus takes everything up to 11. She admits to noticing before he looks back at her to start intensely making out. They rip each other's clothes off, having a a quick little session uh, while the infected (laughs) are all banging on the door um, to get outside and SWAT covers the door. They both catch their breath on the floor. Melanie comments that she likes this virus, wondering what's next. (laughs) He jokes that they should exchange numbers, consider an apartment and a dog. She chuckles, re-asking the question. He looks over at his phone, noticing an, an update through the office app. They all um, they have restricted the elevator access to execs only. Melanie believes that there has to be another way up there, but he doesn't believe that there is without the key card. He ponders for a moment, coming up with an idea. They run down the stairs to see Ray, the IT guy. Inside Ray's room, he's banging the shit out of his keyboard yelling that he's busy Derek shouts um, <laughs> shouts to him again showing him some video footage of someone they set on fire claiming that they need his help he asks how that happened Melanie responding um, that they asked for or that someone was Lester as I found out today <laughs> but um, they asked they asked for his help but he said that he, or he's busy 
Um, that's good enough for Ray. He sits down, Derek needing him to hack into someone's computer. He comments that he needs Interpol to, um, to get off his back. Melanie um, places the hammer on his <laughs> shoulder. He asks Derek who they're talking about. He wants access to Irene. He doesn't. <laughs> he's all like, oh, fuck her. He yeah, he's like, going he's to like, work. For real, he was like ready at that point. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's like, like oh, I'm he's in. Like, oh, yeah, 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 for sure. Fuck her. You should have opened with that. <laughs> Gaining access to her computer while she's on it. Irene immediately calls Ray, asking him what's wrong with her computer she tells um she he tells her to be more specific she claims that her internet is slow he starts ranting where she uh takes the time to place the phone down to light light her cigarette um, picking it back up to him um to picking it back up for him to do his fucking job and then she'll put in a word uh, to john he sends her a patch telling her to call to calm down she questions this he mocks her as he explains what it is what, uh, what it is in very simple terms instructing her to click on the file then click install she hangs up on him <laughs> while Derek and melanie are, are smiling ray calls her rude but he thinks she's nicer now with the virus <laughs> he continues um that he that he could have called the file whatever he wanted and she would have installed it regardless them being able to see all of her files Derek um, tells him to pretend that this is a village that's inhabited by gorgeous virgin maidens. Melanie <laughs> chiming in that he, that he's he's the smelly, aggressive Viking king. He completely understands, erasing her entire hard drive. She calls him back that it erased her hard drive. Derek picks up the phone, letting her know that they have a copy of all her files. But the bad news is that he has it. But the worst news is that she has to come down and get it. Cut to her um, speaking with John about trading her key card for her backup. He chuckles, Irene explaining that, that it means millions to the firm and she's going to get it. He takes off his suspenders, questioning if she should just allow Derek to come up there and fuck him. Yes. Whoa. Oh. <laughs> Whoa! No, she, she admits that she admits to not allowing him to uh, get her card, but he understands that he has leverage on her. She calls Derek an idiot who call, who allowed her to choose the meeting location. Colton shows shows that he doesn't have uh, have his gun in his holster. John wondering where it is. He's like, "Where's your heat, Colton?" It's like, shut up, John. <laughs> Derek and Melody end up um one of one. Of, End up in one of the meeting rooms, not noticing Colton's gun strapped underneath the table, table, quote unquote. Irene comes down into the room. He goes over to her, checking her for any weapons. She's good. She asks um, who Melanie is. He explains who she is before Melanie explains um, who she actually is and where she lives. Irene chuckles uh, mm. that she won't be there for long. Melanie is about to get up, but Derek tells her uh, to wait a moment. He asks for the key card, but she wants to see the files first. Melanie opens the computer to show her. She takes the opportunity to reach for the gun, but it is no longer there. He pulls it out, asking if she's looking for this, sharpening a pro t- sh- sharing a pro tip that um, that fuck I, I butchered this when i wrote it but i'm gonna <laughs> okay. try to, i'm gonna try to say it because it's actually a fucking great line sharing a pro chip that um that uh, wh- people who have a larger iq than their salaries it not being a good idea to outsmart someone with a smaller paycheck solid <sighs> dude that's it, so correct to oh be honest, too. god like it's 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 so it's on fantastic. point of like a lot of corporations and a lot of businesses in general 
Like, fuck it's capitalism, like, dude. Like, what? Like, you know what I'm saying? It's like, the smarter <laughs> people are below crazy. you, but don't outsmart them. Oh, man. Asking for um, asking him for her card again, she tosses it over to him. You know, it's like the concept of, like, if you work in a retail store and that retail store has a corporate office and a corporate person needing to come work in that retail store, they'll have no idea how to make it work. Right. And that's what this whole concept is right here. Uh, um, wanting to get her hard drive, knowing that she's done done her bit, Melanie tosses over the mortgage papers, asking her to sign those first. Irene looks at it, smiling that she can sign it, and then claim temporary insanity afterwards. Insincerely apologizing to Melanie that she she could always take it to to the man upstairs. Melanie glares at her rage, shma- um, smashing her hard drive. She asks for Derek to give them a minute, and he and he's good with that. About to leave out of the room. But then fucking Colton is on the other end, hitting him to the ground. It distracts Melanie, causing Irene to briefly get the upper hand. Derek tries his best to hold his own with Colton as Melanie also tries getting the best of her as as well. Colton points the gun at Derek, turning turning away as he groans in pain. Colton unloads the gun so he finishes him off with brass knuckles instead, wanting to feel every piece of the pain. He claims that, that uh, bullets are for cowards. Back with Melanie trying her best to overpower Irene, but she is a bull, trying to stump her out, but Melanie grabs a shard of glass, slicing at her leg, causing her to drop to the floor. Grabbing a mallet, Irene yells that the car doesn't work and needs an access code. Derek continues trying to hold his own, dodging the first initial blow from, from the knuckles. Um, he b- pulls out a screwdriver, driving it into his shoulder, but Colton just fucking takes that shit, smashing him down <laughs> to the ground in the daycare room. Colton takes off his knuckles, pulling pulling out the pepper spray. Derek tries to fight him off uh, from burning his eyes out. Oh. oh, my God. That would have been terrible. Dude. He sprays it into Derek's mouth, which ca- which allows him to then spit it back into his face, gaining him enough enough power um, to stab him in the head with the screwdriver. He crawls he crawls over while coughing and gagging to the water dispenser, stabbing the jug to release the water flow into his mouth and face. I love this scene. This is great. This is man. fantastic to even think about having like the pepper spray and like the dark. Realization is like, oh, if he sprays down his eyes, that would absolutely ruin him. And then going it into his mouth, putting it back into his eyes by spitting it, and then uh, having the water cooler not work, and then he just stabs it. Like it's just a, a weird sequence of random events that just makes sense and it just works so well for the scene. Absolutely. Where it's like, it's perfect. It is. It absolutely is. He comes back into the meeting room telling Irene that he's done fucking around, wanting her to give them the code. She agrees to give them the code in exchange of give, for giving up Melanie, since she destroyed years of her work. Melanie yells that she just wants her home back. Irene mentions the quarantine is almost lifted and they're running out of time. He yells for her to give the give them the access code. Irene shares her pro tip of the... Uh, um, to give up dead weight if he wants to make it to the top. Melanie raises the mallet. Derek, knowing th- that she'll do it, he begins a countdown. He um, begins to hesitate. Irene completing the countdown, he punches Melanie in the back of the head, knocking her out. She wakes up to Derek, um, tying her in the chair, screaming, fuck you, and calling him just, just like all the rest. Irene leaves out of the room calling Derek to come follow her. He turns Melanie around, going in for a kiss. She moves back at first before allowing him to kiss her. She realizes that he has another plan for her. 
Irene allows her inside the inside the elevator, revealing that it only works once and for her to not do anything stupid. He smiles at her, showing her um, that he, um, that he has the screw and nuts in his hand. We reverse, showcasing that he slipped the screw that was on her chair into her mouth. Once the the door closes, Melanie comes around the corner, killing Irene. Cut back to Derek inside the elevator, remembering what John said about about them having immunity. He punches himself in the face, getting himself pumped up while while scarring more of his face. This was funny because I was I was also thinking I was like, what if he knocked himself out right here? Right. <laughs> he makes it up to the briefing room. John sliding over a contract to him, um, making him partner as they pour champagne to celebrate. It being the terms of John's surrender, Derek la- Derek laughs, calling him a piece of shit. His assistants, Brenda and Tessa, shares all the perks that Derek could have. John knowing that he's he's seen. Um, seeing him eyeing all of this, questioning if that's what he wants. Derek admits it. it is as they drop down a pen for him to sign. They open up the contract, John continuing if he wants to work the next 20 years for half of what of what he was just um, just offered. The two women then tell him to sign it, also exchanging sexual favors. He closes the contract, seeing Melanie's foreclosure papers underneath it, telling John no. Brenda smashes the champagne, the champagne flute, trying to stab Derek, but misses stabbing Tessa instead. He punches her in the face, grabbing his wrench as John grabs his golf club, snorting more cocaine. John chuckles that that his his is bigger, and it always is. They start fighting. Derek um getting the upper hand, and then, <laughs> that would have been hilarious if he was like, "It's all about the motion in the ocean." No. <laughs> Size doesn't matter. <laughs> John throws the powder in his face, causing him to um, blind him. Yeah, dude, this was great. Um, uh, John throws the powder in his face, causing him to go temporarily blind, commenting on on that being his problem lacking vision. Oh, fuck you for using a metaphor for something that literally happened. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you lack vision. <laughs> Puns and attack you now. One lighter 2000s villain. <laughs> he hits Derek, choking him with the club, but Derek is able to kick him off and roll over the table before being um, hit with the club. He demands for another club, um, someone grabbing the wrong one, so he requests a different size. They throw, over, uh, <laughs> they throw it over to him, but Derek has prepared with the shard from his favorite mug jumping over the table to punch John in the face with it. He starts beating the shit out of John with only a minute left for the quarantine. John's partners coming to look over at the carnage. Derek yells for them to look at them, sharing that they're thinking how big their cuts will be after after they stop taking hits. Wanting them all to vote if this is what they want. They all slice across their throats for Derek to Mm. do it. He looks at Derek, asking him if he can do it, calling him a pussy, and that this and this being the reason why he's up there, Derek is down there, completely forgetting about 
Derek killing multiple people just to get to this moment. Admitting to pissing, pissing on his corpse when all of this is over, Derek decks him in the face, causing him to fall all the way back down to the first floor. Mm. Derek watching as the king falls off his castle. He goes back into the room, finally able to plead his case to the now eight <laughs> of them all willing to listen since their CEO was just demolished. But he calmly explains his situation and his dedication to the firm. Him thinking that he deserves his job back, they all agree for him to come back, which allowed him to understand that he didn't have a job, but it had him. Cut to him a pant, um, painting in a, in his class as... Um, in, in his painting class, a picture of his deliberation with the eight as he continues that he was a slave to the grind. Them painting their past with the best intentions, but at the end of the day, it takes brushstrokes of circumstance or a deadly virus to set them on the right path again. <laughs> The eight hand over his contract and the mortgage papers, continuing that the incident at TSC accelerated a vaccine to prevent the symptoms of the ID of seven virus. As for the firm, they offered him John's job, which he signs himself into it, revealing he's still hanging out with Melanie in the painting class. Uh, together, them both flipping each other off as she chuckles. He admits that they, that he admits to have taken the gig long enough to make the executive decision to sign off Melanie's mortgage papers right before quitting. Everyone else um, is let out of the office, him living with the fact that he killed a bunch of people, but him believing that everything happens for a reason. <laughs> Ending with one more pro tip in painting your own path to success with work, love, and life before it's too fucking late. One mm. last body demolish as John hits the floor. Then credits fuck this movie is amazing oh my god this movie is absolutely amazing it's crazy it's lovely it's amazing this movie is fucking perfect amazing this movie is perfect god damn it i got some motherfucking movie facts hey movie facts Around the one hour mark when Melanie t- uh, smart weaving, takes off her top, she reveals a metal shirt by the, the, de- the death metal band, The Black Dahlia Murder, with the cover art from the Nocturnal album. Director Joe Lynch is a fan of heavy metal, which is audible mm. and visible in most of his movies. Very true. Joe and I have to have talked about this. At one point, there is clo- there's a close up of Derek. The blood on his forehead spil- spells ID. Oh, shit. Oh, wow. That's cool. <laughs> Clearly a reference to the fact that the ID7 virus causes you to um, to be driven by pure id. Amazing. The conversation between Derek and Melanie about the Dave Matthew um, band wasn't in the original script. Hmm. Huh. Steve Young was the first person casted in this film. <laughs> Makes sense. He's actually one of the producers on there, too, I saw. Oh, is he? Yeah. That's oh, that's cool. awesome. Uh, the office building firm was shot inside of only... Excuse me, the office building firm this was shot inside of only actually had three floors. That's cool. That is pretty cool. Um, the prep time for this movie was five weeks. Not bad. Yeah. That's pretty good. They did a really great job with this movie. Yeah. The budget that they had as well. Dallas Roberts and Stephen Young both star in The Walking Dead as Milton um, Mamet and Glenn Ree. Who's Dallas Roberts? Is Dallas Roberts... Um, is that? Oh, shit! Oh, the Reaper. 
that's that's where I actually fucking know him from. <laughs> You're like, I know him from some stuff. Yeah, like because uh, uh, all of the other Dead? shit, um, like yeah, he was the CDC guy. Oh, he was yeah, who killed himself. Yeah, fuck. Oh my god. Yeah. Okay. All right. Right on. That makes sense. All right, I'll do one more because uh, there's not much left to this. Um, Stephen Brand was the last person to cast in this film. There we go. Uh, <laughs> fun facts. <laughs> fun movie facts. Oh, here's I'll, another I'll, one. I'll say this movie is fucking amazing. There, yeah, that's, there you that's go. A fact. I'll actually say this. Um, Bear McCurry was originally going to compose the score for this movie. I thought hmm. I thought that was interesting. For those who don't know who Bear McCurry is, he's the composer of God of War. Oh, mm-hmm. hey. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool. Anyway, we want to know what you think about Mayhem. We want to definitely keep this conversation going. You can keep this conversation going with us either on our Twitter, which is at NightlightPod or underscore pod. Excuse me. That's also Night with a K. <laughs> if you, or you can head over to our Discord, which is inside of our show notes, and join us there and talk about it there with our amazing community. We would love to hear from you. But the next film that we are covering is... Is none other than y'all knew it's gonna be on this fucking list. I know it. I said corporate horror, and I knew the first thing that popped into your head was this film right here American Psycho. Hell yeah. I'm so fucking excited to visit this. I can't wait. Oh my God. I'm excited to rewatch it. But this was Nightlight, a horror movie podcast. I was one of your hosts, Prince, also known as Head Nights. Alongside me, we had Freddie. Always keeping it spoopy. Always and forever also known as Nighty Night. With your help, we can reach more ghoulish nights with your recommendation to someone who would actually enjoy the show. If your podcast apps allows you to rate our show, please consider consider giving us five-star ratings as it honestly does help us out a ton. We also found out recently that Spotify is allowing people to comment on episodes. So it's a blanket statement that it gives out for every episode was, how did you like this episode? But we are going to start doing more Q&As on that on those and we'll have little contests and things like that with those Q&As first person to answer it we're gonna give you stuff so yeah be on the lookout for that for Spotify listeners mainly but for extra horror related content head over to patreon.com slash nightlightpod and that's not with a okay remember everybody don't forget your night